We start hour number three by having a conversation with a national college football insider for The Athletic. He is also a college football reporter for Fox Sports. He is co-host of the Audible with Stu and Bruce podcast with Stuart Mandel. He is a best-selling author whose books include The QB, The Making of Modern Quarterbacks. Of course, I'm talking about Bruce Feldman. Bruce, good to have you back. How are you doing? Doing great, Jim. Good to be on with you today. So good to have you, Bruce. Appreciate it so much. All right, so you wrote a column in The Athletic about how the college football playoff selection process played itself out, so why don't we jump right in. Alabama is in. Florida State is out. Bruce, did the committee get that one right? I don't think they did. I think what has happened, Jim, and for years, myself and a lot of other folks have always maintained that college football had the best regular season of any of the major sports, better than the NFL regular season, better than the NBA, better than baseball. And the reason for this is that small sample size of the season, but all the games matter. And what you're basically saying, if you're the college football playoff committee, is that, yeah, Florida State went 13-0. and Yeah, they whipped LSU, who's one of the best teams with the best player in the SEC, did a better job on Jaden Daniels than anybody. And you're undefeated. You win a Power 5 conference, and it didn't really matter. Yeah, the games happen. The outcomes happen. But we didn't like how you looked this past weekend with your third-string quarterback. By the way, the third-string quarterback – He's not expected to be the starter come, you know, playoff time. That's the backup who, by the way, did lead them on a uh, a come from behind win last year against Louisville. Now, they're not going to factor that in and they probably shouldn't. But they should they be projecting all of this to say, hey, you know, whatever happened 13 and 0. I mean, they didn't certainly hold that Alabama didn't look very good a week ago against a really mediocre Auburn team. And by the way, that Auburn team got whipped by New Mexico State. Um, this is a 13-0 Florida State team. I really feel like they got screwed by the committee. Bruce Feldman is joining us. So, Bruce, you make a very compelling argument for Florida State. Bottom line this, in your opinion, why then did the committee choose Alabama over Florida State? I mean, I think it's really hard for them to get past this fact that an SEC champ, a one-loss SEC champ at that, would get left out of the playoff. I mean, look, it's it's... I believe this, and I think everybody who pays attention to college football believes that the SEC has definitely been the dominant conference for the last two decades. Having said that, this has not been a great year for the SEC. I mean, they didn't even have a winning record against the ACC. And I think you can nitpick a lot of this stuff. But the truth of it is when Texas went to Tuscaloosa and beat and beat Alabama handily in Tuscaloosa, I think it was going to be really hard to get past the head-to-head, even though the SEC is seems to be a better conference than the Big 12, and certainly Texas is moving to the SEC next year. But they couldn't jump, I think, and keep out an SEC, SEC champ in their heads. So what did they use to do this? Well, all right, look, I know that they're 13-0, but Florida State hasn't looked very good the last couple of weeks. And I think, and it doesn't take much to to buy into this, that there's a lot of spinning that goes on in this. And ultimately, I think they looked and said, okay, what is the, who are the best four teams? And the best four teams becomes this like get out of jail free card to get the matchups that the CFP ultimately wants. I mean, by that standard, I think that's how Georgia almost got into this, right? It's like, if you're really going to say the best four teams, then why not just stick? Yeah, Georgia just lost. 
But, you know, we think they're probably one of the best four teams. We could say, well, Vegas would say they're one of the best four teams. But ultimately, that shouldn't be how they're deciding this at this point. I mean, you got if the games don't matter, then then don't schedule some of these non-conference, big out-of-conference games if you're going to say they just don't matter. And I think that's a hard message that Florida State is learning. I mean, look, the Vegas experts were going to say that Oregon was going to beat Washington last week. They're almost a double-digit favorite. But Washington beat them again. And, you know, at least on that part, it held out. They're 13-0. and But so is Florida State. And Florida State's getting left at home. We are talking to Bruce Feldman. So what about that? I mean, so in your opinion, Bruce, should it be the four, quote, most deserving? Or should it be the four best teams? And did they get the four best teams? I think you you can't leave out if this was a 12 and 1 Florida State team that had had lost but they answered every test that's where I feel like they kind of got left back and I've seen some people use the the comparison of Ohio State when they won the national title almost 10 years ago when Cardell Jones a backup stepped in and looked great and they lit up Wisconsin in the Big 12 Big 10 title game 59 to nothing and they ended up going on and they they won the playoff that year the difference is that Ohio State team they lost at home by two touchdowns to Virginia Tech they were not undefeated and also when you looked at their resume they only had one other win before the Big Ten title game against a top 25 team, and that was Michigan State. They didn't have much of a resume to stand on. Now, they were really talented, and they ended up you know, doing what they needed to do once they got their shot. But it's not a, I don't think it's a realistic comparison to say, oh, well, Ohio State looked great when Cardell Jones was the backup, and Florida State looked shaky when they had to play the third string guy. I mean, to me... That that takes out what Florida State did during the regular season. It also, I think it doesn't give the credit to Florida State's defense to be as good as it has been this season. And it's been dominant, especially in recent weeks when it had to be. Bruce Feldman joining us. So, Bruce, what about Florida State and the ACC? Are they not also to blame for their own demise for participating in the alliance that delayed that 12-team playoff until next year? Well, that definitely doesn't help the perception of this, that the ACC decided to delay this or that's what, you know, some of the chatter we've heard and out of this. And so it looks like it's irony there. You know, uh, ultimately, I think that's the part that if you're a, you know, I don't think it makes it any easier if you're a Florida State player, if you're Jordan Travis, you know, when he's commenting about, you know, how he had wished he had had gotten the injury sooner so they could have had more of a, you know, more of a sample size to show what this team is made out of. It's, you know, it's unfortunate that this is the system that college football has. Uh, it's going to expand next year to 12 teams. And I think there's less of an argument when you're talking about who's 11, who's 12, who's 13, 14, as opposed to, in this case, you have five power five conferences. There was always this potential for somebody to get screwed and this is the one year it really was a glaring omission. I mean, Bruce, to me, the shock is not that this happened, but that, that this didn't happen sooner. I mean, the math never worked. It never worked. You've got four chairs and you've got five power conferences. Let me ask you this. In defense of the argument that you're making, I would agree in this sense. Like, to me, I think they got screwed. I think they got jammed, absolutely. But I'm not at all surprised if the committee did this because of, well— eyeballs, buzz, ratings, interest, et cetera, et cetera. But let me ask you this. If Florida State, if the committee is going to make the argument that Florida State, frankly, is not the same team that they were, and certainly not in the last few weeks, if that's the case, why did the committee have them at number four last week? 
I, I, that's a great question. And I think the one thing that they all circle back with is, well, they didn't look very good in this game. The hard part of that is that you're basically saying that the, the freshman Brock Lund who went in there, who's the third string guy, he would not be the guy who will be, who would be starting the playoff. So I think it's a little bit of a red herring to put it out that way, but Florida state needed with everybody else. They needed, you know, if they had won, 28 to nothing would that have been resounding enough my guess is it probably still wouldn't have been enough and just like if there was a catastrophic injury at the end of the game for Alabama where you know Jalen Milrow would have gotten hurt and wouldn't have been able to start the playoff I suspect they wouldn't have done the same thing I mean at this point I think the the benefit of the doubt is way out the window with the CFP um, there's no way of knowing for sure any of those things would be the way they are. I just think they have left themselves open to a whole lot of skepticism and a whole lot of conspiracy theory at this point. Bruce Feldman joining us. Hey, Bruce, before you go, if you don't mind, it's an excellent column. You should go read that on The Athletic. Bruce, with the bowl season about to start, that also means that the transfer portal season is underway. Your colleague with The Athletic, Max Olson, pointed out, 500 scholarship FBS players enter the portal. That sets a new record. Who were some of the most notable names that jumped out to you? Well, I start with the quarterbacks. Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma was a, is a prolific quarterback. He started his career at UCF. Now the question is, where does he go? You know, we, we think USC with Caleb Williams moving on will be in the market. We know Lincoln Riley's had success with the Oklahoma quarterbacks before. Um, the, is that a case where Ohio State will be in the market? We know Ryan Day has had a ton of success developing quarterbacks. Uh, Dylan Gabriel's old offensive coordinator at now two places, Jeff Levy, became the head coach at Mississippi State. Does Oregon try to get him? I mean, there that's the part where this is going to get interesting is I think you're going to see a lot of bidding wars. Cam Ward is a really uh, talented quarterback at Washington State. He may Everything Max and I have heard is that he's probably leaning towards going into the NFL draft, but does somebody throw enough money at him to convince him to maybe stay in college one more year and develop? Because this is obviously a loaded draft for quarterbacks. Maybe it's in his best interest, if the money is right, to stay stay and hold on and see what he, what his options are going to be a year from now. Hey, Bruce, one last question. Nobody was more aggressive with the portal than Deion Sanders when he arrived at Colorado. Now he's dealing with top recruits decommitting. He's got numerous assistant coaches departing from Boulder. He was the hottest thing in all sports for a minute. But everybody had to know that that was not immediately sustainable and adversity would hit once they got into conference play. We knew this, but exactly how is this falling apart the way it is? For instance, is it a six-game losing streak to end the season, or are there bigger issues within that program that maybe we don't know about? Yeah, we did a big story on this at The Athletic last week with my uh, with my colleagues on this, Sam Khan and David Ubbin. And one of the things we really kind of got into was just – you can it's I don't want to say it's built on a house of cards because in one sense you had Shador as a really talented quarterback you have some really good receivers and some pretty good defensive backs what they just did not have was guys in the trenches and you know we talked to a lot of coaches who, who pointed out you know the culture building the development piece you can't just flip the switch and expect that to take off those are the things that ultimately are going to help this program sustain now question is how much better can he get you know, get on both sides of the ball in the trenches. We know he's going to go hard into the portal. He's lost a bunch of good assistants now, which isn't entirely surprising. Sean Lewis got, you know, got the head coaching job at San Diego State. His offensive line coach was coming with him. 
you know, his top Dion's top recruiter, uh, Nick Williams is a, a, was a defensive line coach with a lot of strong connections as a recruiter. Now he's going to Syracuse to that staff. So I think for Dion, the big part is going to be how much better can he get in the trenches, especially on the O-line. And that's the part where ultimately they wore down. And over the first month of the season, they looked pretty good. And I think they did battle at a lot of times and they were close on a, on a handful of other games that they didn't win. But it's it's what can you do in terms of for staying power? Because it's like, I think it was it's one thing to go from horrible, which they were before you got the job, to respectable. And that's what they were last year. But it's a bigger step to go from one win to four wins to really make it to be an eight or nine win team where you can give your guys a fighting chance. I think they're going to in the big 12. It's they probably won't see as tough a competition as some of the teams they saw in the Pac-12 because you've had a lot of quarterbacks who came back and they got in these shootouts where they ultimately couldn't keep up in most of them. I think if he can get better, and that's the challenge, is convincing good assistant coaches to come in now after year one of this and buy in. Because I think there are going to be a lot of kids who still want to play for Deion Sanders and still want to be a part of this. I think there will be a lot. It's just you have to get some really mature physical kids, and that's what they didn't have enough of last year. He is Bruce Feldman, a National College Football Insider for The Athletic, also a college football reporter for Fox Sports and a best-selling author, a good friend of the program. Bruce, always good to have you on. Thank you so much. Great job as always. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jim. You got it, Bruce. Great job. Good information as always. All right. You have your phone number. You can react to any of that. What do you make of that? So Dion's losing assistance. He's got top recruits who are decommitting. What's going on there? I mean, there's going to be some turnover, obviously, right? But what else is going on there? You knew, as I mentioned, that once they got to conference season, they were going to get punched in the face. That it was not sustainable. That fast start was not sustainable. That in and of itself, no matter what happened in conference play, it was going to be deemed a successful season, right? Well, if that's the case, then why is everybody abandoning ship? Why is the recruiting class what it is? Why is he losing assistant coaches? Sean Lewis was obvious. He demoted him after three games. This guy was a head coach who came over to be a part of this, and Dion demoted him. Of course, he was getting another opportunity, and he did, and he jumped. 